Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. It's good to be with you, and uh, your presence, as, as I've said many times, your presence is important. Um, your presence here on a Sunday morning is important, and your presence in people's lives is important, and uh, it matters. It matters to, to many, uh, many folks, and so we're truly glad to be with you today. Um, next week, I just kind of want to give you a, a heads up. Man, next week, hey, did you know it's Easter? Yeah, come on. Next week is Easter. We're going to start a new series, and it's called This Changes Everything, and let me just tell you, the resurrection changes everything. The ascension of Jesus Christ changes everything. Uh, Pentecost changes everything. The second coming changes everything. This changes everything. So I, I encourage you um, to invite somebody in next week uh, to truly hear this story and truly hear others' stories. And so we're going to continue in our series called Exposed, and, uh, and we're going to kind of put a bow on it a little bit. And we've learned so far in this series that nothing there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and there is nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. Um, Jesus said it himself. Um, Paul said it like this, everything uh, exposed by the light becomes visible. And there's a verdict. Uh, from the conversation that Jesus held in the darkness with Nicodemus, he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. No one wants to be exposed. I got exposed to the sun yesterday and my face shows it. No one likes to be exposed. However, Jesus does, says that, does say this, but whoever lives by truth comes into the light, meaning we willingly come in to be exposed to the Lord. We willingly come into light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of the Lord. We often say, God goes with us, but really, do you really understand that God is with you even in the times that you really don't want God to be with you? Doing the things that you don't want God to know that you do. Folks, um, God exposes the hidden, not to shame or guilt. I think we need to know that and understand that, that God exposes the hidden, not to shame or guilt. That is not who God is. That's not what he's about. What God does is when he exposes the hidden, that which is revealed is redeemed, is restored. You were brought to wholeness. You were brought to holiness. You were brought to completeness. That's 
the purpose, the sole purpose of God exposing things in our life is that our heart may be transformed. As Matthew mentioned, transformed from pride to humility, from hate to love, from anxiety to peace, from a critical and judgmental spirit to an encouraging and grace-filled life. God wants to transform hopelessness to hope and passion and purpose from apathy and indifference to commitment and drive God seeks to transform the heart that is the sole purpose for exposure and so for us unlike myself with the sun we want to come into the light to be exposed that God may do a miraculous work that only God can do because of exposure. And so we invite it. Last week we talked how crisis, crisis exposes our own heart. And in fact, the most ultimate crisis in the history of humanity was the cross because that is where the Son of God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself, was executed But see, he turns it. Again, transformation. His murder and execution was actually a surrender of his own life and his own will. No one takes it from him. He lays it down for us so that death can be transformed into life. It's all about the transformation of the heart. That is why God exposes And so today, we're going to come back to the foot of the cross. We've looked at all of the people around the foot of the cross, and I just want to remind us of those folks. Some of those people around the cross are there because of duty and obligation. Yes, I said duty in public. Duty and obligation. These Roman soldiers were there because they had to execute orders. They were obligated to be there. The centurion led the soldiers to make sure it was done with precision. There were those that were not there because they were obligated to be there, but there were those that were there because they wanted to be there because they were there to be sadistic and mocking and ridiculing Jesus. They wanted to make sure that their plan was fully executed. And these would be the elite, the religious elite, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin. These members of the religious class that judge morals and religious matters, they wanted to ensure that their issues were over. There were those that were not under arrest, that were not under obligation but that were there at the foot of the cross because of pure commitment and love. Those would include Jesus' own mother, Mary, and her sister, or her aunt, excuse me, as well as the many other plethora of Marys that are in that story because there's a lot of them. But there's also John, one of Jesus' own 12 disciples, But what becomes very apparent and very evident as we look across this exposed hill and Jesus up on the cross looking down is that there are those that aren't there that we've mentioned before. Barabbas, 
the one whose life was spared because they exchanged Jesus' life for his. He was in prison for insurrection and murder. He's not there. There is no gratefulness from him. There are uh, uh, 10 other living disciples that Jesus built into and fed into and, and led and loved that are absent. That we would think that on his deathbed would be at his side because this is his deathbed. And I'm sure like you and me, the ones that we loved and that have loved us, we would want them by our side in our last moments on this earth. They're eerily absent. And so we're back at the cross and by their surprising and shocking absence, someone else appears that is just as surprising and shocking. But before we get to them, I'd like to ask you a question. Yes, it's congregation conversation time. I don't know, I just made that up. So, I'd like to ask you a question. And yes, you are going to answer this to those people that are around you. What is the most riskiest risk? Yes, I know that sounds weird, but I like it. What's the most riskiest risk you have taken in your life? And what did you risk... And was there a gain or a loss? What is the most riskiest risk you've taken in your life thus far? You still have life to live. There's more risk to take. But what's the most riskiest risk that you've taken? This is a bit different than the courageous thing you've done. What's the riskiest thing you've done? And did you gain it or did you lose or what did you risk? So in the next two to three minutes, will you go ahead and discuss? I've already given you a topic. Go discuss. All right, begin. All right. Did anybody find out something that was new to them? Really? Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, ha- I knew it would be the lily crafts. Wow. Well, for my wife, probably the most riskiest thing for her was uh, marrying me, saying I do. <laughs> she did say that. Oh, oh my. All right, the sermon's over. Oh, dear Lord. Wow, seriously? I'm kind of having a moment here, a public moment. I don't know if I should laugh or cry or like crawl into a corner. Wow, really? I'd put that down as a joke. My goodness. Well, for for me, I I would say the the riskiest risk that I've taken... Hey, did you gain or lose on that one? (laughs) Wow. (sighs) My face is red, not because I had the sun. I'm a little embarrassed. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, for me, my my riskiest risk was uh, uh, probably about 10 or 11 years ago when I I received the call to become a pastor because that's not at all what I wanted to do. Um, this was not at all what I had planned in my life, and this, this was a huge risk. Um, I'll leave it to you whether there was a gain or a loss. I don't know. Um, risk. Risk is inherent to our faith. Risk is inherent to the kingdom of God. 
So if you think that Jesus, when he called you and when he saved you, that now you can fly under the radar, you've got another thing coming. If you think the greatest risks in your life are behind you, then you're not living your faith. You're not living what God has called us to. And neither am I. There are much greater things ahead of you. Bolder things. Even Jesus told his disciples who had seen a lot, experienced a lot, even you will do greater things. Greater things are ahead of you. And today, we see a man who comes out of the shadows. We don't talk about this man often because he doesn't appear in Scripture anywhere except at the last breath of Christ when all is said and done that the ridiculers and the sadistic mockers have left, when the soldiers' jobs have been pretty much complete. This man and a confidant confidant of his comes out of the shadows. And we only hear about this man in this moment. And so the scriptures, what I've done today, um, these are the scriptures that uh, we're looking at. And these are all his stories. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he appears in all four gospels. And what I decided to do was take all four of these stories and kind of pull them all together so we have a one clear good picture of this moment in time and so if you want to follow along in any one of four of those scriptures you're more than welcome but I've put them on the screen for us together that we may read it together in in its full and entirety so let's go ahead and meet this man it was preparation day That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, there came a rich man from the Judean town of Arimathea named Joseph. Joseph was a prominent member of the council and a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now Joseph had himself become a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. He went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. So Joseph bought some linen cloth. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs at the place where Jesus was crucified. There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. 
because it was the Jewish day of preparation. The Sabbath was about to begin, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Joseph took the body and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Heavenly Father, as we go into the scripture and read this man's story, may his story and the scriptures speak deep into our DNA, into our soul, into our life. And may we answer those hard questions of, am I willing to risk it? Am I willing to pay the cost? Or am I just satisfied sitting in the shadows? Holy Spirit, we speak. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Joseph of Arimathea. This is his story. Joseph was a prominent member of the council. He was a good and upright man. He, in fact, was looking for the kingdom of God. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And honestly, if you look back in Jesus' story, back in Luke chapter 2, we find that there are others that were waiting on the kingdom of God when Jesus' birth was having, was just born and he was dedicated in the temple. And now on the opposite end of his life, we have a man who comes and appears in the scriptures at Golgotha who's been waiting on the kingdom of God. And he is a prominent member of the council. Now, this council is the same council of 72 members who have been watching and peering Jesus' life for three years. This council is the leading council, the religious council. In fact, these are the ones that make the moral decisions for the populace and religious decisions for the populace. If there's any religious matters, they're the ones that decide it. And in fact, one of their clearest jobs is they need to determine whether a person who claims to be a prophet is a false prophet or a true prophet. It's NCIS ancient style. And so, Joseph, since day one and Jesus comes on scene, the Sanhedrin has been watching every little bit that Jesus was doing. All the miracles, all the teachings. And at some point, the flip switched for the council, the Sanhedrin. And they became the ones that publicly accused and tried and did their best to trap Jesus publicly that he would fall on his own sword by his own word. This is the same council that committed themselves to push the flywheel of murder so that Jesus would be executed. This is the same council that infiltrated Jesus' 12 and netted Judas and offered Judas the price of 30 pieces of silver for Jesus' arrest. This is the same council that led the arrest to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the same council that stood at the feet of Jesus as he was on the cross. 
Joseph was a member of this council. So he was privy to all the conversations, to all those that were brought before them that had been healed by Jesus, that were questioned, put under the light, so to speak. Joseph watched it all, witnessed it all, listened to it all. And Joseph did his job pretty darn well. What was his job? Again, his job was to determine whether someone was a false prophet or a true prophet. And somewhere along the way, Joseph looked at all the evidence and came to the conclusion that this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, was in fact who he said he was. Jesus, the Son of God. And he secretly began to follow Jesus amongst the 71 others of the council. Somewhere along the way, his confidant Nicodemus started to follow Jesus as well. So two of the 72 began to follow Jesus, listen to Jesus, but we understand that it was a secret following. He was convinced to come to belief, but he wasn't convinced enough to live publicly that belief. Folks, is that even a possibility? That you can be a secret disciple of Jesus Christ? Quite frankly, I think it is. I think there are churches full of secret followers of Jesus Christ who have not come out publicly saying, I am a follower of the Lord and Savior Jesus. They have not come and lived it holistically. But as we talked about, the cross of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion exposes the heart. And shockingly, the disciples that Jesus built into personally were nowhere to be found except one. And shockingly, this one that was in the shadows for three years now comes to light. Shockingly, those disciples on the first Sunday and a week later were still behind locked doors for the same fear of the Jewish leaders that Joseph held. But see, Joseph did the quantification. He calculated it. He said, I think the risk is worth it. I think the risk is worth it. See, boldness, boldness comes when we calculate the risk and we understand the why behind the risk, and we feel like the why is worth it. Whether we gain or lose, either way. But the why, the why is worth it. Whatever it is, the why is worth it. So, we have this man come out of the shadows. He uses his prominence, he uses his position, he uses his power, and he comes before Pilate. 
and he boldly asks Pilate for the body of Jesus Christ. Joseph now is in the light. Joseph has now risked it all. So, what are some things that we learn from his life that we can personally take for ourselves? One, we go in, go all in to go all out. Joseph literally went all in to go all out because at this point, as soon as he steps out of the shadows, he's made known. Those that he has been with for three years who actually have the power to do him in as well, he's risked that position. He's risked that prominence. He's risked his livelihood when he steps out and comes before Pilate and takes down the body of Jesus Christ and actually begins to interconnect with the disciples. And in fact, I wonder why we have the story of Joseph of Arimathea in the first place. Probably because Matthew and John got to know Joseph following this moment. He's shared the story. He's told them who he was. And he began to live a life of faith. He went in, he went all in to go all out. Folks, he handed over his prominence, he handed over his position, he handed over his pride, he handed over his authority. He went all in to go all out. What else did he do? He stepped in front of Pilate and he actually went and became a caretaker for the body of Christ. Along with Nicodemus who stepped out into the light he gave his finances to purchase the linens and his own burial plot that was for him he gave to Christ he used his financial financials to generously give to the movement of Jesus Christ in a moment that this movement was all but lost we know the end of the story which is actually the beginning of the story right the end of the story is the beginning of the story because it's the resurrection but right now joseph and the rest of the disciples the teaching of the resurrection of jesus christ was everything but muddy it was all muddy to them they didn't get it yet and so joseph was selling himself out to a movement that was probably just about ready to die itself He went all in to go all out. Folks, what else did we learn from Joseph is that we embrace the risk by a paradigm shift. Jossie Chaco said this, that the church, that we as disciples and Christ followers ought to be the biggest risk takers on earth. As we mentioned, risk is inherent to faith. And so we must embrace risk. But for us, there are many in here, including me, that we are adverse to risk. I am not the one who wants to take risks all that much. Everything in my fiber says, no, don't do it. But we have to shift the mindset because we view risk as an enemy. But according to Jesus and according to Joseph, 
Risk should be our friend and we embrace it. And actually comfort and safety, those are our enemies. It is said that it is impossible to please God without faith. That's scripture. If faith, if risk is inherent to faith, then it's also impossible to please God without risk. You and I take the lesson from Joseph that we must embrace risk. Calculate the cost and determine the cost worthy to be lost. Because boldness calculates the cost and understands the why and believes the why is worth it. And with boldness, we ask God to increase boldness by providing us opportunities to be bold in our faith. He went boldly to Pilate. Folks, you cannot be bold unless you have an opportunity to be bold. You can ask for it all day long, but until you begin to ask and look for opportunities to be bold, you will never ever be bold in your life. So let's shift it. We ask the Lord, give me an opportunity, put me in a position that I will be exposed, that I will need to be bold. There's a moment in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John. Peter and John had just gotten arrested by the same Sanhedrin, the same group of 72, minus Joseph and minus Nicodemus. Just got arrested because they healed a man publicly. And they went on trial before the same Sanhedrin that put Jesus to death. And they told them, that you should no longer speak about this Jesus Christ or his resurrection again. They actually released him this time without a flogging or without a beating. The next time would be way different. But this time they left and were released and they went back and they shared with the rest of the disciples what had happened. Then they went and celebrated through praise and prayer. And their prayer was that God would enable them to speak the word of God with great boldness. They didn't ask the Lord to protect them from the Sanhedrin, to protect them from those that were adverse to the gospel and to the truth. No, they wanted to stand in the middle of a culture that was against them, just like Joseph. They stood in the middle of a culture that was against them and preached truth and lived truth in a very loving way. And they asked God to give them great boldness to do so. Folks, the world needs a church that is bold. And there are people in your life that need you to be bold, to share the gospel and to share the truth. Last but not least, we've got to own our faith and don't go alone. Folks, every night, every Wednesday night, we stand here and we pray before we get into our digging deeper. And one of the things that, that we pray is for our students next door in the White House. And we ask that one, that there are teenagers who don't have faith, they come to faith. And those teenagers that come to faith, they own their faith. 
meaning they live out their faith. They don't just believe it enough to be secret disciples, but they believe it enough that they live it. They live it publicly. Not just when it's comfortable, like on a Sunday morning. Sometimes Sunday morning's comfortable. But when they live it out with folks that are not like-minded or like-hearted. And Joseph didn't go alone. Notice he went to the cross with Nicodemus. He had a partner, a partner in faith. Folks, you and I need partners in faith. This is not something you do by yourself. It's hard enough to be a man or a woman or a teenager or a child of faith in this world. We need others in our court to sharpen us to lead us, to guide us, to challenge us, to rebuke us, to admonish us, to encourage us, to pray over us. Personally, once a month, there's a group of of leaders in our community that I gather with, and we sharpen each other um, in our leadership skills. Once a month, I meet with a mentor who's a lot further along than I am and who knows a whole lot more than I do. And once a month, I meet with pastors that are part of our community that sharpen me and that I sharpen them, that we pray for each other and we encourage each other. And yes, sometimes we vent, but more often than not, it's an encouraging time. I need them in my life because I know how hard it is just to live faith. It's not just about being a pastor. It's just being being a man of God. Own your faith. And don't go it alone. You need people in your life to sharpen you, to go with you, to be in your corner when you can't fight yourself, to hold up your arms when you have no more strength left. You have to have people in your corner. So how are you going to raise the bar for yourself? Maybe you're to that point that you're going to go all in to go all out you are going to surrender it all. Position, prominence, reputation, finances, family, job, whatever it may be, to go all out. Maybe that's where you are, and that's the bar that you've got to raise in your life. We call that in the Church of the Nazarene, it's a big word, it's called sanctification, which truly means Jesus is no longer a savior in my life. He is savior and Lord because you can't have one without the other. You cannot have Jesus savior without Jesus our Lord. It doesn't work like that. Maybe for you it's embracing risk. You're adverse like I am and you have to have a paradigm shift. Begin to view risk as that boundary to get to the other side that something is greater for you. Joseph saw that he was willing to risk and lose everything because he thought, I don't want to lose what God has for me. Maybe for you, it's asking God to increase your boldness level, your capacity to be bold by giving you opportunity to be bold for your faith. Maybe that's your bar. 
Maybe your bar is that you finally own your faith for the first time in your entire life. You've been in the shadows and you've been playing the secret disciple. You've been worried about those that are around you and what they might think and what they might do, whether you might lose friends or you might lose family. It's time you own it. It's time you own it. Maybe for you, the bar is, I got to have somebody in my court. If you need somebody to sharpen you, to meet with once a month or once a week or whatever it may be, begin to ask the Lord for that person. Trust me, that's something he wants for you. And he's very willing to give that to you. All you need to do is ask. So would you please stand? Heavenly Father, I ask that you move in our lives and that you speak directly to where we are and how you want us to raise the bar. Father, if there's anybody in this room that has not come to faith, I pray that they step over that line. They cross that line of faith. that they give you their life, Jesus. And if that's you in this room, if you've been playing the game and you want to own it, and this is the first time that you're going to own it, I just want you to pray with me, a simple prayer. It's not complicated. And it's just the beginning of the conversation, but Jesus, I give you my life. I give it to you. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask that you be bold. And while you stand, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand and boldly proclaim that I gave Christ my life for the first time. I'm done playing the game. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray today. Amen. As you know, this is Palm Sunday, right? This is Palm Sunday. This is the celebration moment of Jesus riding in, not on a cool horse, which would have been awesome, but a donkey. He's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, proclaiming his the fact that the king has come. And so would you just shout with praise as we go, and our kids are going to come through. Grab those palms. Tickle some ears, wave them around, be an idiot for just a moment, be weird, it's okay, you're allowed to be weird. We've gathered to this day, we're gathered in your name, we're calling out to you, your glory as we Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.